morning, everyone. Have you ever, I, I had everything planned and prepared of what I was going to jump in and say, and, and I will get to what I have prepared, but something was just laid on my heart that I wanted to address or talk about before then. Um, if you watch the media, or if you watch the news, or if you just watch and listen to what popular society and American culture, or even in movies or even on TV, there's a certain perception that, at least in our culture, in American culture, there's a certain perception, public perception, that many, not us, certainly not us, uh, but many have a particular perception of what Christianity is. And the characters that they use in like movies or on TV shows or even within culture and when you run into people who find out that you're a Christian or you go to church, there's a certain image that comes to their mind, I, I suspect, or, or, or I, I have an idea. And that is, oh, I better be careful what I say around this person. I better be careful about how much I open up to this person. I better be careful of how I tiptoe on this person because if I do the wrong thing, they're going to judge me and they're going to look down on me and they're going to see me in a different light. Or the caricature that they'll have on the news or on media on TV shows is someone who's the Christian. It's very outwardly, everything looks perfect. Everything is whitewashed, everything is clean, everything is righteous and holy and everything, but then they show the side uh, uh, hypocrisies of that individual, and that's what culture sees as a Christian. And there's some people who, in our culture, did not grow up in church. They did not grow up with Christian parents. They didn't grow up in a Christian culture, so what they have to go off of our personal experiences that they have with Christians and, and experiences they have with the media and on TV. And so when you invite them or when you try to talk to them or when they ask you about Christianity, there's a lot of baggage that is already there. There's a lot of perceptions that they have of Christianity that are not Christianity at all. And, and I believe we're in a unique opportunity in our culture where many before us have, when, they've, when it's gotten to a point of, okay, we've gone off the rails, the Christian faith is not being communicated properly, and someone goes, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. If this is the message that you are hearing, if this is what you are receiving in your earballs that's telling you that this is Christianity, we're here to tell you that that's, that's not Christianity. And the same Christianity that you're rejecting, we reject that too. And so here is Christianity. It's specifically, here is Christ for you. Because see, if you go and you ask the average person to tell them, especially someone who doesn't grow up in church or anything, tell us about Christianity, how many of them would say that the Christian faith is a faith that revolves around the idea that God became a man, came to earth, lived a life, died a real death for the forgiveness of sins. Because that's Christianity. That, that's, that's, that's what makes Christianity Christianity and not anything else. God became one of us. He died as one of us. And he raised to promise that we too will be raised because of him and what he did. 
But see, that's not what's being communicated. That's not what's being projected. And we should live right. We should love our neighbor. We should want to live a holy and righteous life. But there's something that also that we can communicate to the world and say, that's what we ought to do, and that's what we should do, and that's what, yes, absolutely, but here's the bad news. I don't do it all the time. I don't do it perfectly, and neither do you. But the good news is there's someone who has, and there's someone who has lived righteously, and there's someone who has lived the perfect life, and he died on the cross for me, and he died on the cross for you. And that life he lived, and that death he died, and that resurrection that he experienced is now given and counted as if ours. That life he lived is counted as if it's the life that we lived. That death he died, he, died, he, he experienced our death for us in a way that we will never experience. We will never experience the wrath of sin that Jesus experienced on the cross in Christ. He consumed it all for me and for you. And then to tell, and because he did this, we are promised everlasting life through him. That's the Christian message. That's what separates Christianity from everything else. And so until the world who rejects that, no, if you want to reject that, okay, now we're understanding what you're actually rejecting. But make, let's make it be that's what you're rejecting, if you're rejecting anything at all. My hope is that no one does. But I'd much rather you reject the Jesus that died for you than the Jesus who gave you just some good advice. Christianity is not good advice. Well, it is. It's very good advice. But the point of Christianity is not good advice. It's good news. It's, it's telling you something that has happened. It's announcing to you that the problem of sin and death and guilt and shame and forgiveness has all been reconciled by Jesus himself for you. And so in 2020, let that message spread. Let that message continue to spread. I mean, I, I'm a big history nut, and I think back of when, when Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, that's when he was reading, they told, to get him out of their hair, they told him to go study the, the word. And he, that's when he saw the gospel and he said, wait, it's not about what we do for Jesus that gets us into heaven. It's what Jesus has done for us that gets us into heaven. And it turned the world upside down. Because it completely changed the game. And I just wanted to share that right quick. Let, 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 let's, let's encourage one another. Let's, let's bring comfort to one another. Not through laying burdens on each other, but reminding each other all the time of who is carrying the burden. And that's Christ. It's all been placed on him. He is the active agent in our salvation. He is the active agent in our Christian life. The pressure is off. We are free to love our neighbor. And God is, God's big enough to navigate through your mess-ups and mistakes. Did you know that? Did you know that God's plans are not thwarted because you dropped the ball? I mean, if anything, we have a pattern of God taking the mistakes of everyone and weaving in everything to make sure that his plan comes into fruition. 
You look all throughout the Bible. It is nothing but story after story after story of complete rejects and complete mess-ups and complete failures and complete idiots when it comes to what they should be doing and didn't do. And God comes in and uses the situations. Oh, they sold uh, their younger brother into slavery in Egypt. Well, I'm going to weave that in and I'm going to use him and make him second in command of all of Egypt so he can save their family one day. Talking about Joseph. And that screams what happened to Christ. That's, the, that's another thing, too. God uses these stories to not only move and navigate his purpose, but they're for this purpose. To tell us about the one who he has sent. The one who he sent to rescue us from ourselves. And that's Christ. Look for Christ in Genesis all the way through and you'll find him. Anywhere where you find a hero in this story, uh, spoiler alert, the hero is not you. The hero is Jesus. Anything that you look like where somebody is doing something great or some sort of miracle is being performed or something going on, it's to point you to Christ. Imagine Christ in that place. You, me, if I'm in here, I'm the sinner you know, begging for mercy. I'm the, the, you know, the, 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 the villain of the story, so to speak. But the good news is that Christ came for the villain. He came for the sinner. Christ came to, to reconcile the sinner with God. And that kind of leads into my message today of, we talked about the how of Christmas before. We know about the how of Christmas. You know, Jesus, you know, Mary, she was a virgin. She was conce she conceived through the Holy Spirit. Jesus, and so he comes and he's born, and we've got the shepherds and the angels, and we've got everything in Christmas that we know the how. How did they happen? How did he got there? But I want us to focus on the why today. And this message is called The Reason for the Season, and it's in Galatians chapter 4. Oddly enough, we had a series a while back on Galatians, but it, Galatians always tends to pop up. Galatians, Romans, uh, Paul's letters in the New Testament, they always tend to bubble up for me. In Galatians chapter 4, starting with verse 4 through verse 7, we read, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. And there's so many really cool things in this right here. When, when the fullness of time had come. That means that God had a plan for this event all the way back then because he was waiting for the fullness of time to come. We were kind of speaking about this yesterday at the, uh, at the way. Uh, one of the reasons why Jesus hasn't come back yet, well, obviously the fullness of time for that event to happen hasn't happened yet. But I do believe, and this is my personal belief that from studying scriptures, and there's different understandings and beliefs, and I get that, I believe that everything that is supposed to happen for Christ's return has already been fulfilled. 
He can come right now. I don't believe we're waiting on this and that event and whatever. I think it's right now. And I think it's been like that for quite some time. So, and that isn't meant to scare anybody. See, sometimes we use that to scare people. Oh, you better do, make sure you're doing something good when Jesus comes back. Odds are you're probably not going to be. Let's just be honest. Odds are you're probably, I'm going to be probably, you know, when he comes back, I'll probably be driving angry at Atlanta traffic. That's going to be my luck. Just, that's the odds. And the good news is, when he does come back, for those he's coming to get, he's not going to be, eh, 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 I'm back, you're in trouble. No, he's there to bring you home. He's there to make all things new. All of this is going to be completely turned upside down, and he is going to reign and we're going, faith will become sight. All of the, I can't imagine a world that doesn't have sin in it. I can't imagine a world that doesn't have, you know, I, I can't imagine that. It's tainted everything. Thought, word, and deed. How do I know I'm doing the right thing? Am I doing it because I want to do the right thing? Or do I do it because I want somebody to notice I'm doing the right thing? Yeah. You know, I, I'm not breaking that law because I'm righteous. No, I'm not breaking that law because I don't want to go to jail. That doesn't make me righteous. That makes me, I don't want to have the consequences. That's, a, that's different. But to, but to be in a position to where sin is gone and to be like how Eden was. If you notice that in Scripture, it's all reverting back to how it was in the beginning when God created and made everything good. But in the end, we will be with Jesus, and we will get to see all the time just what he did to make sure that we would be with him forever. Is there anything, Paul, let's see, if there is anything Paul and Galatians, or for that matter, all the texts throughout Advent and Christmas should impress upon you, it is the fact that when it comes to our redemption, God is the prime mover. The Trinity is the primary actor. God is running the verbs of our salvation. What does that mean? It means if you find a verb in salvation, God's doing the verb, not me. Because if I'm doing the verb of salvation, then I'm saving myself. And that's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The Lord determines the appropriate moment for the new age to break into the old and how it will be so, like it was saying, when the fullness of time had come. It is the Father who first sends his Son, and in the spirit of his Son, we cannot get them, force them, make them to come. They kind of do what they want. They show up wherever they want, however they want, when they want, and they promised that when two or more are gathered, they will be there. So we know that whenever two or more are gathered in his name, the Holy Spirit has promised to be present. So he's here right now, with us. We don't have to beg him to come. We don't have to say, pretty please come. We don't have to be in the right position to come. We don't have to be in the right, close their eyes to come. He's here because he promised. How can I say that? Because he promised. And because God keeps his promises. So let's rest on that, what he said. God set the terms of the covenant, not us. The Lord fulfills the covenant, not us. The Lord applies the covenant, not us. The Lord determines the composition of his family, not us. God gets all the credit, we get none. He gets all the glory, we get all the benefit. 
when we think about salvation and how to be saved and all that, think about this. You have been saved. Not I, 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 I. You have been saved. This is why it is called good news. It ought to be preached as such through Christmas. Now is the time to glorify God and revel in the joy of our salvation. Those who have been united with Christ, buried with Christ, crucified with Christ, baptized into Christ, do not have to scrutinize the verity of their salvation, of being adopted of God, of being justified before the holy law of God because of their doing, their skin color, their diet, their religiosity. It is all like circumcision or uncircumcision. They mean nothing in the economy of salvation. Christ busies himself with accomplishing your salvation without notice of your race, age, sex, ability, or intelligence. The Holy Spirit busies himself with applying that salvation without notice of your race, age, sex, ability, or intelligence. The Father busies himself with basking in the glory of it all because it is all gift. The gospel is good news, so here's some. The burden is lifted. Grace is lavishly outpoured. Grace isn't just, okay, they did it right, here you go. No, God loves to throw and throw and lavish us with his grace. It pleases him to pour his grace out on us. It pleases him. What pleases God? Giving us grace. That's what pleases God. Judgment has passed over us and onto Jesus Christ. The Messiah, who in turn gifted you when being united with Christ, buried with Christ, crucified with Christ, with the Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus. That's your response. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing this for me. It's, it's, he's doing something. That is what the text in Galatians is all about. As Paul brilliantly compares and contrasts the burden of the law with the delight of the gospel. It spells out for us the great confidence we ought to have in the fact that God has covered all our bases by sending Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It is the Christmas story. Paul brings his argument to a close in verses 1 through 7. The thrust of all he says here tells us the believer's life to be lived not under the law but in Christ. This reality, this truth, is to be lived in the full freedom of mature sonship and not in slavery to a legal code precisely because Christ has been like them, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them from the burden and curse of the law. Again, that is good news. Good news, not good advice. Receive it. And you have received the gift of Christmas. Again, the big picture is how we are under God's law. We are to love him above all things and our neighbor as ourselves. The bad news is we do not even begin to do this. And we are constantly guilty of cosmic treason against God's commandments. This king will find you and he deals with his enemies. Unless someone intervenes by representing us and both fulfills our reasonable obligation to him and takes the just penalty for our rebellion so we need not bear it. Once that takes place, then with our sin and guilt removed and the hostility between us and the king totally removed, we are not only ushered into his restored kingdom, but we are now fit and cleansed 
to be indwelt by his Holy Spirit. So we need not live like we are obligated to fulfill the law by ourselves and be justified in his sight by our own doing. We know that we are justified by Christ. That's how we're justified. That's how we're sanctified, by Christ, by what he did. He gets all the glory. The devil says, yeah, 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 but you did that this morning. Yeah, 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 but you did that 20 years ago. Yeah, remember that sin 20 years ago? That was a bad one that nobody knows about. Yeah, about that one. Yeah, that one too. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. When Christ took the cup of wrath and drank it all down every last drop, that's where the wrath went. It is finished. His total righteousness has been counted as if yours because all of your sin has been counted as is his. Where's your sin? It's with Jesus. It's in his body. He's got evidence to prove it. He showed, he showed Thomas. See, that's the thing that blows me away, too. Even when we doubt, it was like, I don't know. Jesus had every right to say, okay, then get out, get out, then go away, go away, depart. Jesus looked at Thomas and said, come here. Come here, Thomas. Touch me. Touch my hands. Feel it. He still came for him, even when he doubted. And what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. What a gift that was for Thomas. What a gift that is for me. That when I doubt, that when I ramble, that when I am faithless, Jesus has promised, don't worry, I'm faithful. You're of mine, Zach. I died for you. And the same thing can be said about you. Now that having been freely justified on account of what Christ has done for us and be united to him so we can never stand accused, the Holy Spirit leads us in paths of righteousness as free children, heirs of the promise, redeemed from the burden and curse of the law, so we can call God our Father. That's, that's again, history. For you, for you to call yourself, the, the, for you to call God Father, in, in Old Testament terms, that's blasphemy. You, how can you be, how can you say that God's your, your father? You know, you might say that Abraham's your father, but God, give me a break. And because of Christ, we, we can say God's our father because he's adopted us. We're, we're his. That's, whew, that's, that's incredible. We can call God our Father rather than our judge. It is a totally new way to be human, free in Christ. Paul wants to stress God's initiative and performance under the law to save us from the consequences of the law. So Christians do not cook up human performances as the fulfillment of some obligation to God and the basis for initiating a saving transaction. Do not conjure up standards for authentic Christian living, a higher Christian life. Do not deal in categories of, of the law. Enjoy the gospel that's already there, full and final for you in Christ. Verses 3 and 4 bring us to the gospel through a contrast between God and the elemental spirits of principles of the world. Under the world, we are helpless, like Lazarus, dead in his tomb then God acts in a powerful and decisive way for us and upon us. 
God is manifest in his son to set free those captive to the law. He takes orphans like us into his family. God does not wait for man to initiate any kind of reconciliation. He does the reclaiming himself. And if that were not enough, he sends his spirit to incite in people's awareness of what he has done. We call it conversion, being gifted with faith in Christ. If you have faith in Christ, it's not because you faith really hard. It's because the Holy Spirit put it in you. That's a miracle. He put faith in Christ in you. Even that is a gift. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit put belief in you. It's all his work. The very word that entails what God has done to us, regeneration, be made anew, remade, born again, if you will. Remember when Jesus told Nicodemus he had to be born again? Nicodemus was like, be born again? How can, what, what are you talking about? I couldn't be born the first place. I didn't go, born, and then, you know, 1981, I was born. That didn't happen. There was other events that had to happen for that to happen. The, our recognizable conversion is the product, the result of having been regenerated. You do not act in a regenerating way in order to be regenerated. He regenerates, and we express the repentance and faith of regeneration. That he regenerates is the good news. Be ye regenerated is not a new command, but an impossible command. I can no more make myself born again or initiate the process than I could at the beginning of my natural birth. So say amen and doubt nothing God has said about you, beginning at you being buried with Christ and raised with Christ. Paul then ends this text with emphasizing born of a woman, born under the law. Why is this important? Jesus was holy human with all the consequences relating to that precisely because he was born of a woman and because he was it meant he was also born under the law being sinless and yet per perfectly human he could redeem those under the law why is it important for us to confess and proclaim the virgin birth it is important because of its place within the total story of redemption God would have to come and rescue us. And he was not going to do it any other way than being born under the law so he could redeem us from the burden and curse of the law. The birth of Jesus, the Son, was necessary to provide mankind with a person who could qualify as the redeemer of humanity. A dog cannot represent you. And, no, and not neither can a goat nor a bull nor a sheep, only a real human being with real human flesh and body can embody your need. And blood that poured from his body was poured for you. And if the point of his represent, representation is to fulfill the obligation under the law, he is going to need to be perfect and free from original sin. Christ does that by sidestepping normal human procreation and being conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of Mary. Every detail of Christmas is about Christ and his reason for coming. How he did, when he did, was because of why he came. The reason why he came, the reason why Christmas happened, was you. And yes, the reason for the season is Jesus. But the reason for Jesus is 
Will the team come forward, please? Maybe they're here this 